Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, uh, everybody, and uh, welcome to the latest edition of Ortho Joe. We have a special guest, which I will uh, introduce here in a in a minute. Uh, but uh, Mo, did you get your new Ortho Joe coffee mug? New? Uh, I did not know there was a new one, but I have my trusty old one here, which is okay, yeah, pretty pretty got, new to me. Pretty my, new to me. There's a uh, there's a more earth friendly uh, model that's coming. So anyway, okay. we, we need our coffee to, to to keep going early in the morning. Uh, and uh, I want to uh, just point out, uh, perhaps you don't know this, Mo, but I was recently shown some data. But th- there are some of these episodes where actually five thousand people have downloaded them. So somebody awesome. listening out there, and we're grateful for those that are listening and. Well, I'd like to thank my mom for the 4,999 downloads, but uh, other than that, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe a hundred or so might be my relative. Okay. It's all good. You have to stay humble, you know, and and be realistic. But I want to again point out to the audience that if you have ideas of topics you'd like us to cover, or you want to comment about something we've said or implied, uh, please contact us at orthojoe at jbjs.org. We're also interested in any uh, guests that you'd like us to invite. Uh, but this morning, we are extremely honored to have a very special guest, Dr. Jay Parvizi. And I don't think Jay needs much of an introduction from anywhere around the world, but his title is lengthy. Uh, Jay is the James Edwards Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at the Sidney Kimmel School of Medicine and the Rothman Institute at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. And Jay has uh, been there, I think, since you finished your training. Uh, Mayo Clinic uh, grad, uh, and uh, I know the Mayo and our colleagues down south on 52 are extremely proud of what you have accomplished, Jay. And before we dive in, we dive into this uh, topic. I just want to point out to the audience that a few years ago, I was uh, honored to introduce both of these gentlemen at a regional orthopedic meeting. And between the two of them at that time, which was several years ago, they had over 2,100 peer review publications, these two that you're about to listen to. And these are not low impact journals. These are very high impact journals. So these are two of the most productive orthopedic researchers, I would say, in the history of orthopedic surgery. And I'm extremely proud uh, to have known both of you and have collaborated with you. So let's uh, dig in. So Jay, um, you have of late been involved, in addition to your, your continued research efforts uh, personally, uh, in some very massive international efforts uh, to, to define guidelines. And uh, I, I'd like to discuss those uh, with you today, and Mo will jump in. Uh, and and let's, uh, let's go with the one that you completed several years ago on prosthetic joint infection. What, what, why, what stimulated you to initiate and conduct and figure out how to fund this massive international effort, which has resulted in some 10 or 12 major publications? Give the audience, uh, why did you do this? Well, sure, thank you. First of all, Mark and uh, Mo, it's an honor and a true pleasure to be on this uh, uh, video together. And uh, Thank you for your mentorship and friendship, Mark, over these years. Uh, I have enjoyed every time meeting you 
and learning from you. And the same with Mo. So hopefully with this COVID craziness being over, we will be able to see each other face to face again. The ICM, International Consensus Meeting, was put together back in 2012, with the first meeting taking place in 2013 and another meeting in 2018, uh, with one and one goal only, to try to standardize the way we practice orthopedics related to orthopedic infections. How do we come up with prevention strategies? Which of these preventative strategies are effective? How do you diagnose the terms uh, and the, uh, the way we treat these orthopedic infections, et cetera? We all know that there, are, there have been a lot of different ways to try to accomplish these things. And over the years, a lot of uh, variability in the practice has existed, uh, which has led to perhaps uh, being very ineffective at times and also at times inefficient. Because of that, we decided to bring the experts from infectious disease, basic science, orthopedics, and other related subspecialties to look at areas that require the standardization, review and uh, extensively look at the literature, produce these guidelines based on literature when they existed. And if they didn't exist, then come up with consensus at this point identify areas in need of further research in the future, and then move forward. So 2013, I think we accomplished that. 2018 was a very, very different year because in those five years, there were thousands of publications related to orthopedic infection. I think part of it was because of that stimulation of the ICM meeting. People went home and started to put their efforts into trying to answer some of those questions for which we didn't have definitive uh, evidence. So the 2018 was also on all orthopedic uh, subspecialties, not just hip and knee. 2013 was only hip and knee. 2018 was all orthopedic specialties. And that was fantastic. Fantastic because there are some areas in orthopedics, I'm sure in some subspecialties, that there had not been much evidence nor much research and that, again, engendered a lot of interest amongst our uh, young scientists and clinicians to go and do those. And we came up with ICM definition for peripheral joint infection, ICM definition for infected non-union, et cetera, a lot of those things. And it culminated in a 2,000-page document, which was published in various subspecialties, and we're grateful to JBJS for publishing three of those subspecialty documents. And I think it has really helped our patients in the process. So in a long-winded way, the, the purpose was to try to standardize the protocols with the uh, intention of trying to help our patients. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point you make, Jay, about how such efforts stimulate uh, young investigators to do research to clarify some of the missing evidence. Uh, and I think that's one of the uh, major roles for scholarly publication is to help to define where the gaps are and, and, and what needs to be done in terms of research topics. But you also mentioned in your answer the thousands of publications that have uh, that occurred in those few years. Uh, and so, Mo, I'd like to ask you, you know, what's the idea at OrthoEvidence about how the heck can you keep up with thousands of publications? H how are we going to synthesize this information into clinically actionable bites, if you will? Well, 
you know, so the hardest part is, and so let, let me also begin by just congratulating Jay. I mean, Jay and I have sort of in parallel been watching to sort of the growth of orthopedics and the growth of evidence-based medicine. And let me also just state that those 2,100 publications, I'm pretty sure 2,000 of those were Jay's and he did the heavy lifting on this, but I'm just happy to be in the same category, Mark, as Jay Parvizi. You know, you've made my day, by the way. You know, you've made my day. You've made my day. So, um, I think it's the other way around. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, can, I can compliment you all day. Blow 15 minutes doing that if you want. But anyways, um, we'll I, I was just going to... We're having a compliment uh, throwdown here. So... It's, it's the Olympics. It's the Olympics of compliments. It's all good. Um, so um, I would say that what if so OE is doing basically in many ways what this large ICM group has been doing, right? Like it's been trying to get signal from noise and you you can decide what your metrics are. You know, you, know, you, you can say, well, we only want RCTs. I imagine in the infection literature, there's a lot of RCTs, but there's a lot of non-RCT data that's been used to help try to figure out, okay, where do we have the gaps and where do we move forward? I think we're all united in the same mission, which is how do we ultimately um, get, I, I, you know, how do you identify the gaps? How do you get, you know, uh, bright minds who participate to start acting? And as you said, more papers came out of it. But I'd also um, add, and I may just jump on top of that question back to you, Jay, is a big challenge with anything we're doing at Ortho Evidence, anything JBGS is doing, and certainly with a large consensus group, is impact. And have you been able to get a sense? Because I I would imagine that just getting hundreds of people together, although they won't say it, they may suddenly realize that they have been a little bit, you know, maybe a deviation here or there from what is considered the you know sort of the standards uh, across the world. Have you been either anecdotally or more specific data-wise been able to capture change in practice? Yeah, in fact, you know, CDC uh, also have in the 2013 mo they that we we introduced a new definition for parasitic joint infection that then CDC also endorsed and put it on their website. And CDC was tracking uh, infections in hospitals as part of their HICPAC efforts in the United States. And what happened was we found out that the incidence of infection and approach to diagnose orthopedic infections in particular, and obviously subsequent treatment, had dramatically changed in the right direction. And this was being actually followed by CDC and some data that they shared with me. Uh, so people, there were circumstances in which, you know, the patient would fail after a total knee replacement and you would assume that to be aseptic. You would never look for infection. And suddenly, uh, because of those guidelines, people were looking for infection. We were identifying them earlier, perhaps, and we were able to really help those patients. So that's one area, which I know that we have real sort of concrete data showing that things had changed. And then there's also the, uh, the number of downloads and, and also number of citations of those articles, right. very extremely high. One of the journals that published it, it was the highest number of citations for that particular journal over the last two years, which means people are really, really paying attention to. And that document is also housed on our app, and our app has 25,000 users. We highlight the uh, publications on a weekly basis, the important ones. To Mark's point, we're engendering interest in trying to generate evidence. We also want to bring that to people's attention. You know, how do you sort of weed out those really, really important publications out of the thousands that come out? 
So I think we have made a difference. Obviously, uh, we could do a better job. And I think I want to thank you and JVJS for your commitment to disseminate evidence-based information to orthopedic community. That has really been very effective. Also, the social media, the stuff that uh, videos like this, I think these are so critical because it brings these people's attention. Yeah, Jay, before we go on to your next uh, uh, topic, uh, which you're putting a ton of effort in uh, recently, what, what's the next step for uh, PJI in your so mind? We, a lot of uh, delegates are writing to see if we will be repeating the ICM in 2023. I think it is probably too early to repeat in 2023. The document generated in 2018 was extremely comprehensive. And I think the next one will most likely be in 2025. And by then, if I'm alive, I'll be glad to be part of it. If I'm not, we'll let the younger generation take over, and uh, they will hopefully be able to do a better job. Yeah, God willing, you'll be you'll be here, uh, Jay. You're I, I might, a young man. Um, uh, thank you. I, uh, might, I, might, I might be on oxygen. Uh, Jay, Jay, isn't it crazy how quickly we all start saying that now? I still yeah. think I'm young at heart. I'm sure Mark thinks he's young at heart. I mean, but yet we, when we look around the auditoriums, we're old. Yeah, you know, you know, another, another way to know you're old is when your patients come to see you and you say, I'll see you in five years. And they say, I hope you will still be around in five oh, years. Oh, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Really, yeah, that really bites. You've drifted away from compliments now into the, into the <laughs> So, Jay, um, you have uh, been working for the last year or so on VTE uh, and are about to uh, uh, finish up uh, that uh, very important work. So, uh, tell, tell the audience uh, why did you choose this as the next big? Uh, topic to put all your your uh, seemingly uh, unlimited energies into. Sure. Thank you, Mark. Next to infection, I think pulmonary embolus in particular, the fatal ones are things that worry us as surgeons and definitely our patients. Mm -hmm. And a lot of energy and efforts has gone into VTE prevention, including our great colleagues and chest you know, American Association of Chess Physicians, ACCP, mm -hmm. American Academy has had two guidelines. That was part of the first guideline group that came out. And I think all societies are really very, pretty much preoccupied with this subject. And we all want to do the right thing for our patients. The problem is that the guidelines can sometimes be in conflict with each other, particularly the European with the American guidelines, for example. And all guidelines I know really apply to hip and knee. And there are not any guidelines related to other subspecialties. So our objective were threefold. One is we need to produce guidelines that apply to all subspecialties and examine each of those subspecialties. You know, what do you do after foot and ankle surgery? What do you do after a knee arthroscopy or multi-level spine fusion? That's just as important as hip and knee replacement. The second is that can we make these guidelines international and not just American guidelines? Uh, because we're all doing the same thing around the globe. We're all doing the right thing by trying to prevent this complication in our patients. And then the third was can we try to base these on evidence but taking into account 
the complications that are also associated with administration of anticoagulation. There are publications showing that some of these very aggressive and potent anticoagulation can in themselves lead to fatal outcome. Uh, so how do you balance the risk of bleeding versus risk of prevention of distal DVT or pulmonary embolus, all of these? And I think the latest chess guidelines, and I want to congratulate that work group, was fantastic because that started to take into account the complications associated with the administration of anticoagulation, as well as its efficacy in prevention of VTE. So what we have done is uh, gathered 136 societies, including hematology groups, venous thrombosis group, cardiologists, anesthesiologists, numerous others. And we have had uh, 450 delegates, including the two of you gentlemen that are part of it. And we have assigned questions to two delegates that are going to work on a specific Delphi method to scour the uh, publications and come up with two-page recommend, uh, recommendation and justification. Then it goes through internal review process. Then two members of the steering committee will review it. And I'm honored and very, very glad to say that we believe the final document will be published in JVJS, which will be incredible. We have 204 questions. All subspecialties are covered. And we will have, hopefully, definitive answer to questions like, do I or do I not give any anticoagulation after the arthroscopy? Very, very important work and uh, congratulations on your leadership there. Uh, let me ask you both. So PE and particularly fatal PE is a very rare outcome, extremely rare. So that makes investigation in this area ex extremely difficult when you have this very low incident condition. So Mo, what, what, what are the ways that, uh, that one, one can organize a, a, a research project when you have that, that low an incidence of, a, of an outcome? Well, I think what we do, and I suspect what you're seeing in the DVT literature or the VTE literature is surrogates. So surrogates, that would be equally important, uh, but may and be likely more frequent. Um, and then the trade-offs between the complications of giving that treatment, right? So bleeding and you know, just the concept of bleeding is, you know, can be particularly um, challenging to quantitate, but you can imagine that there's all kinds of secondary consequences of, of um, anticoagulation for one example. But I would say either you do a global effort and try to get the, you know, from 1.5% to 0.5% or 1.5% lower, but those are big numbers. And I do believe there are studies that have attempted that, or at least been trying to be powered for PE in the US. And I know Bacori may have funded one, at least one of those types of studies, but that being said, they're few and far between. And what it gets back to is, is really ultimately, you know, if you look at evidence-based practice, it's, you know, it's patient important outcomes, what matters to patients and again, if I could piggyback on that back to you, Jay, uh, for maybe one of the last few questions we're probably going to ask you is, in the in, in the process of all these uh, individuals, were you able to get a sense of patient views and values around some of these complications? Because at the end of the day, what you know you may think is important may sometimes align with patients, but may be completely opposite of what the patient perceives as important. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And yes, uh, you know. Anticoagulation, especially very aggressive anticoagulation, leads to hematoma formation, persistent wound drainage, increased infection, and of course, increased mortality that we're all aware of. For a patient on day two to have soupy wound that's continuing to drain, 
is honestly a very, very important issue. For them to get infection in their joint is another very, very important problem. So as, as Mark said, fatal pulmonary embolism, fortunately, is extremely, extremely rare. And what is interesting is that despite everything we have done, we really haven't been able to make much of a difference to the incidence of fatal pulmonary embolism. That still continues to be sort of hover around the one in a thousand yeah. uh, type of a, uh, percentage. But other complications, in particular issues related to readmission, reoperation for evacuation of hematoma, yeah. these are important issues that we need to pay attention to. And that is, in my opinion, and based on our research, very, very important parameters for our patients. Well, it's extremely important work, uh, Jay. And uh, I, when when do you think you're going to be done with uh, with this project? I'm not asking for it as an editorial question. I'm asking for <laughs> the audience. So the audience will want to know when they're going to see the the product. Hmm. I think we're planning for submission to JBJS in October, Mark. And I think obviously it has to go through another review process in JBJS, but uh, exactly the same vigorous process as any other peer-reviewed publication. And then I guess we will see it before end of the year. Okay. And we'll do our part. Yeah, we'll do our part in ortho evidence, very similar to, you know, some of the work we uh, partnered with JBJS on some of the COVID work, uh, Jay. So we'll, we'll do our part to get as much information out quickly to uh, our, our viewers as well. That would be wonderful. That would be great. Thank you. It's so important that it be an international effort, uh, Jay, as you pointed out, and it's so important to cover all subspecialties. I've heard from some musculoskeletal oncologists that on both the topics you've worked so hard on that it's been extremely important to them to uh, to have their area of expertise and, and very complex of work uh, be involved in this, uh, in, in both uh, topics. So, uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you for spending this time. I, Jay, I know you've got to get to the OR uh, and uh, help somebody with a, with a new arthroplasty. And uh, uh, it, it's been great to chat with you about these important things. And, and maybe, Jay, if you would be willing, maybe in six months or so, we might have you come back on and talk about the impact of uh, the VTA work. Uh, I would love to. I would love to. Thank you, Mark. And thank and you for the opportunity to both you and uh, Mo and Looking forward to seeing you gentlemen and shaking your hands in person. Yeah, you'll be getting your Ortho Joe mug, uh, the I new approved model uh, in the mail. So I'm thanks jealous. again and have a great yeah. day. Thank you. Thank you. Have Take a care. great day. Thank Take you. Care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.